0: Bibles this morning to the Book of Romans and the chapter four. The book of Romans and the chapter four. We're going to break into the chapter at the verse thirteen. Romans and the chapter four, beginning our reading from the verse thirteen. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of none effect. Because the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end. The promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is off the law, but to that also which is off the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him who, whom he believed, even God, he quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, when he was about an hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith in giving glory to God. And being fully persuaded, Ending our reading there at the verse 25. Now as we come to the Word of God today, we see immediately that the very focus of our chapter is upon the character of the great old patriarch, Abraham. And so as Paul introduces Abraham to the discussion in which he is seeking to lay out the claims, the great claims, of the gospel of God, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, he introduces a character of great significance. For it's without doubt that as he does so, he's adding an extra layer of credibility to all that he's proclaiming in the words that he's writing. To these expositions of great claims that are found in this gospel— Paul here is adding that extra layer of credibility to all that he is speaking of as he mentions, describes to us, and depicts the life and the character of Abraham. Remember, he's writing to a church, a church of believers who come from both Jewish backgrounds and Gentile descent. And so using Abraham as an example means Paul, in this illustration, recognized and acceptable to all. Now, what we have described for us here is a snapshot of Abraham's life, and this snapshot encapsulates for us all the struggle that we face in keeping our eyes fixed upon Christ. To not be distracted by the various circumstances that enter in, by the various unforeseen events that come our way, but rather in all things and at all times, remaining steadfast in our belief that God will do exactly what He has said He will do. Now, for Abraham, that, I believe, is summed up in the words of verse 21. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And so today, as we come to consider another ruby from Romans, it's simply this fully persuaded. Fully persuaded. That's the title of the message, and that, I believe, is a challenge to each of our hearts today, for the Word of God is exhorting us all to look within and to answer the question as to whether we are believers who are fully persuaded. And can I suggest to you that it's also crucial to our fulfilling the exhortation of last week. For if you and I are to patiently continue, then I submit to you that we must also be fully persuaded. And so today, let us take up this word of God and let us look afresh at the actions and the reactions of this man of faith. And I trust that as we do so, God will speak to all of our hearts and we will all positively respond to that challenge to be men and women of faith. The first thing I notice in this passage as it's depicted for us is simply this, the choice nature of this faith. The choice nature of this faith. What Paul is striking at here is what you and I define as being saving faith. And saving faith is distinct from and superior to anything else in this world. It's saving faith which allows us access to grace. It is saving faith which lays hold upon the promises of God. It is saving faith that is described as a desperate upreach of man that connects with the outreach of God. That is what saving faith is all about. And here in this passage, Abraham is used by Paul as the foremost example of what it means to be saved by faith. We've already highlighted that Paul is concerned in this book with expounding gospel truth, that good news of God. And here in this passage, Paul is reinforcing once more this good news. That salvation is known and can only be known by faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, by trusting in the merits of His finished work and trusting the plan of God for salvation. It's not by some level of good work. It's not by anything that you and I can do. Salvation, righteousness, righteousness, redemption, they're all found in Christ and in His finished work. That's what he's dealing with there in the opening verses that we read together, verses 13 through 16. He says, For the promise that he should be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed, through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of none effect, because the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed." Here we see evidence of the truth that God didn't guarantee a future based upon any future obedience, but rather a future was guaranteed because of the evidence of faith in time. That remains the unchanging truth today. What God committed to Abraham was not based upon anything that he ever would do. It was not based upon some decision that God had prior knowledge to in the days that lay ahead in Abraham's life. No, that which was promised to Abraham was secured because of the faith displayed in Abraham's life. That is exactly what the Word of God teaches in regards to salvation today. Salvation is known whenever you and I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and accept, indeed, the finished work that He accomplished there upon Calvary's cross as the only way, the only means of eternal salvation. Verse 14 there reminds us of the value of faith. Reminds us, indeed, of the value of the promises of God. For if God's promises can be realized by works, that is, if salvation can be earned by our endeavors, if all we have to do is try instead of trust, then of what worth or value is salvation? Friend, understand that salvation as we read of it in the Word of God as the Word of God highlights it and communicates its truth to our hearts. It's distinct and it's superior. Why is it? Because it's a work that God wroughts in our hearts. It's a work of grace in our, in our hearts brought about by God as we display our faith in the finished work of His own dear Son. As we come together this morning and we think about the worth of our salvation, as we reflect once more and confront it with this truth that it's not something that we can pay a price for, it's not something that we can earn through our endeavors or through our attempts. What a price was paid. And of what significant, extravagant value is our so great salvation. So high the price he paid, the nails across the grave. Such pardon he bestowed, such grace he showed. No greater sacrifice, he gave his very life. So deep his love, so high the price. Truly, really, as we come to reflect upon that which the Word of God is communicating to us afresh this morning, the choice nature of this faith, saving faith, it brings us immediately to consider, oh, what a great salvation we all possess. And this salvation, then, is only known because of the choice nature of saving faith which makes it distinct from everything else in this world. The Word of God is not only revealing to us here the choice nature of this faith, but it's also revealing to us the collective nature of this faith. This wasn't for a select few. This faith and the results of this faith can be known by all who will believe. That's what Paul is getting at there, beginning in the verse sixteen. For he goes on to say, not only that to the end that the promise might be sure, to all the seed, not to that only which is off the law, but to that also which is of of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Paul here is simply saying if a man, if a woman, if a boy or a girl, if they demonstrate in their lives the same faith Abraham did, then it is of no consequence if they are of the law, a Jew. Rather, this faith can be demonstrated and this faith can work the same effect in the life of those which are not of the natural race of Abraham, but rather because of that same faith they're part of that spiritual seed recipients of the same blessing. Now, what is the blessing that we're referring to here whenever we speak of that which was effected in the life of Abraham? We'll come to verse 22. For that faith that was evident, that faith that was displayed, it tells us there in verse 22, therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness, And so as faith was evident in the life of Abraham. God imputed that faith to him for righteousness. Abraham believed it was accounted, the Bible says, to him for righteousness. And look how that also then plays out in our own lives. For he goes on in verse 23 to say, Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to him it shall be imputed if we believe. So as we believe the good news of the gospel, as we place our faith in the finished work of Christ, as we place our faith in the message of the gospel of God, then we too will know the same imputation of righteousness. We will know what it is to be declared righteous in the sight of God. To all who believe, To all who believe in God, to all who believe that God raised our Savior Jesus Christ from the dead, to all who identify that in His death, He died to pay the price that was demanded for our sin. That's why He says there, if we believe in Him that raised up Jesus, our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses. For Paul is reminding us that as Christ suffered and died in that cross, he was dying for us, he was dying as us. He was bearing our price, he was taking upon him our burden of sin and sorrow. He was knowing what it was in that very moment to receive our wrath as God was meting out that wrath upon him. And so as we look to him by faith, as we believe in all that he has done on our behalf, as we see there upon that cross that He took our sin, that He carried our sorrow, as we then behold Him, the risen, glorified Savior, sitting at the Father's right hand, ever living to make intercession for His own, having been raised again for our justification. Paul is reminding us, no longer does the law have any claim over us. We're free from the law, happy condition. Christ hath redeemed us once for all. Or to put it simply, God wrote a check to promise us salvation. Christ came and delivered that check. And on resurrection day, the check cleared. And everything that was promised by God is fulfilled in the life of those who believe by faith. There's a great transaction that occurs within all of this, is there not? The Bible reminds us that Abraham's faith was imputed to him for righteousness. Verse 24 tells us that we receive exactly the same. But I don't know about you, but I remember the time that I came as a sinner to Jesus. I brought absolutely nothing to him. Nothing apart from the scars of sin, the burden of sin, the filthy rags of sin. But the Word of God reminds me that in that very moment, the great exchange happened, for all my sin was cast into the sea of His forgetfulness. As far as the east is from the west, so far He removed it from me. And in His place I am clothed in His sinless, spotless righteousness and accepted in the sight of a holy God because I am His, and He is mine. His robes for mine, O wonderful exchange, clothed in my sin, Christ suffered neath God's rage, draped in His righteousness. I'm justified, in Christ I live, for in my place He died. Today, if we know what it is to be saved, if we know what it is to be, to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ, then you know full well that it mattered not if you were of Jewish descent or Gentile descent. It mattered not what your family heritage was. It mattered not what your name was. The collective nature of the faith that Paul is describing here remains to this very day for the whosoever will. So you have the choice nature of this faith. You have the collective nature of this faith. But notice thirdly then, the curious nature of this faith. Because that makes up really the bulk of the story. It makes up the bulk of the account, the very meat of the account that Paul gives to us here in this passage. But we know it to be true also as we reflect upon and indeed rehearse to one another the truths that are recorded in God's Word about Abraham's very life for how this faith played out. And against the backdrop of the, the context, the circumstances that Abraham is living through, this truly relates the story of what saving faith truly means. And I have a confession to make because that word curious is simply only included there because I'm a slavery to alliteration. Because rightly we should describe this as lunacy. Remember, Abraham is a man called of God, called by the God of heaven and earth while living in the idolatrous city of Ur. But upon receiving that call, upon hearing God's very clear command to leave behind the city that he called home, to leave behind his family and his friends, and to go from that city searching for, looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. Abraham did exactly that. Now, he did drag his feet a little. He spent about 15 years, just a short journey from where he began. But after that 15 years, Abraham got serious about following God. And so he sets out and, with a steadfastness, begins to journey, make that journey to the promised land. Remember, all of this was based upon a call. It was based upon a promise. But the key truth that we remember through it all was simply this Abraham believed that promise. And he acted upon it. Now, this land was unknown. The prospect of a seed seemed, at this stage, simply a pipe dream. For the verse 19 tells us, And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old. And so here's a man a hundred years old looking for a city, about to enter into a land, and hoping against hope that a seed would come when he was a hundred years old. despite everything that the head was telling him, Abraham believed his heart. And in his heart, he knew that God was true. And in his heart, he believed that God would come through. And that's why in verse 20, the apostle writes, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Now, Abraham was a man constantly challenged to live by faith. He's a man constantly challenged with a conundrum. Does he take God at his word or does he give in and listen to reason? Does he believe in a God who makes something out of nothing, or does he simply accept that at 190 years old, respectively, that Sarah and he have tried their best, they've followed their hardest, and they've believed as much as they could. But the reality was, the simple reality was, that for him it just wasn't going to happen. Is that what he gives in to Because no doubt that debate's raging in his mind. No doubt that's the thoughts that he's continually turning over and over in his head. You'll remember that when God said to him that a seed would come, Sarah was there in the door of the tent and Sarah laughed. Because it was incredulous. How was God going to give them at 90 and 100 years old, how was God going to give them A seed. But notice verse 18. For before the the apostle ever highlights these truths, ever shines a spotlight on the great dilemma, the great battle that's going on inside Abraham's life, he records these words, who against hope believed in hope. That's an incredible statement. And that's a statement that you just don't read over without pausing to reflect and to take in all that's communicated by that statement. Who against hope, he believed in hope. Even when it was crazy, even when it was mad, even when it was lunacy, to keep believing, he trusted. He believed in God. And the reason for this, I tell you, is because he was fully persuaded. Fully persuaded. Abraham knew the reality. But he believed in the impossibility. The very reason that he did this, I believe, is a simple one also It's not deep and it's not profound. It's achievable in your life and it's mine. He simply couldn't believe that God would break his word. So instead, he believed that God would keep his word. When faced with the reality of where he was in life, when faced with the reality of how life was right at that very moment, against hope, he hoped. And he believed in the impossibility. all I have said today is I trust things that we believe in, truth that we believe in. And so we could leave here today and we could be happy, be content that the truth was preached. And we could all give our assent to that which has been related from the Word of God. It's also true that if we all were to do that, there would be some amongst us. A number I I couldn't quantify, a number I wouldn't dare to quantify. But there would be some amongst us who tomorrow would fall flat on their face. Who would be overwhelmed, who would be discouraged by the events of life, by what tomorrow will bring. And the reason for this is because up until now, we've only ever related the academic belief, truth that we all can agree on. I can only speak personally, but I have no interest in academic belief. I don't want to be a Christian who academically believes God, who academically believes in what God can do. I want to be a Christian who actively believes the truth. Who, when faced with trials, who went faced with temptations, who went faced with setbacks, who even when faced with impossibilities, actively believes in a God who will. I want to be someone who is fully persuaded that what God promised to do, He will do. And I also say I want to pastor a people who believe exactly the same. A people who not only know their Bible, but a people who believe their Bible. that's why, yes, last week there was much encouragement to be received from various comments that people shared about how I sought to break it down to the children. But if I'm to pastor what is, I believe, a family, then the children need to be fed at this table as much as the adults. And the adults need to be fed time after time. And we all need to be encouraged in the Word of God. And so as we come to consider not an academic belief this morning, but a, a, a scripture that could truly transform us as we actively believe this, as we are fully persuaded in what all can, God can do in each and one of our lives, then how does that translate into reality? Under this morning, is it true that the boys and girls need to be built up in their knowledge of the Word of God and they need to be fully persuaded in that which the Bible contains so that when their teacher tells them that God didn't create the world, that they say, oh yes, He did. I'm fully persuaded because the Bible tells me so. I wonder in a world whenever everyone is warring against our very minds and the thought processes we are engaged in, in a world where young people abound who don't believe who they are, never mind what they believe in, in a world where definitions change, the message change, the expectations of this world changes, can we not be believers, both young and old, who say, you don't mind, I'm going to apply the blueprint of God's Word to my life, and I'm going to live it out. I'm going to actively believe in a God who will perform that which He has promised to do. Why? Because I'm fully persuaded. And yes, this world may change, and yes, Times may get tougher and the days may grow darker. And yes, there may be opposition. And yes, there may be even persecution. But I am fully persuaded because I know whom I have believed in. And I am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I've committed unto Him against that day. Perhaps I'm speaking to believers this morning. Perhaps I believe her this morning. And you've resigned yourself to things always being this way. You go through life and your shoulders are slumped. You're always downcast and dejected because you think it's always going to be this way. Your husband's always going to be unsafe. Your wife's always going to be cold-hearted and bitter about the past. Your children are always going to be disillusioned and the walking wounded. Do you think, I know God can hear prayer. I know God can answer prayer and I know God can save souls and I know God is able to restore, and I know God is able to restore those years that the locusts have eaten, and he's able to give that oil for mourning. But the reality is, in my life, it's, not, it's just not going to happen. Can I share with you the story of a man? And He was... Someone who every day got up from his bed with what I would describe as just a small flicker of hope. A small flicker of hope in his heart. And as he began his day, every day he would pray this prayer. Oh God, today may this be the day. May this be the day. You see, his son was wayward. His son loved the pleasures of this world. And the days passed, and the reality was there was no sign of a change, there was no sign of a return. But I believe that this was a father who was fully persuaded. A father who actively believed in God. And who actively believed that God would restore his son. You and I know this man. We know this man to be the prodigal's father. And as you consider that story, have you ever considered the truth Of just how easy it would have been for him to give up. How easy it would have been for him each and every day to go and busy himself with something else. To resign himself in his own life that it just wasn't going to be. There was no news, there's no evidence. The sun was ever coming back home. And every day ended in disappointment. And there's no doubt in my mind that the head of this man said, Give up. It's lunacy to believe. Save yourself the hurt, the heartache. Just move on. not this man because this man was fully persuaded and every day he got up and every day that hope was in his heart and every day he looked but then one day there he was the son that he'd been praying for, the son that he'd been waiting for, he was coming back up the road. And The Bible tells us that that father ran to him and he cast himself upon his neck. He fell on his neck and he kissed him and he rejoiced in his heart. Why? Because that which he had fully been persuaded of had come to pass. And we're not told how many days passed. And we're not told how many tears were shed. We're not told how many letters went unanswered. We're not told how many messengers were told no. We're not told how many times he was rejected. How many times he was spurned. How many times he went to bed and cried himself to sleep. How many times he thought this will never happen. But we are told that on a day there he was. And he came. The son who was far, far away is now back home with the father. And I tell you, God can save your wife. God can save your husband. God can restore your child. God can give to you all that your hearts desire. But you must live actively believing because you are fully persuaded and you may get to the twilight years of your life, and you may get to the time whenever you think it's never going to happen. The years have passed. The summer has ended. He's still not saved. And God says to you, if you're fully persuaded, then don't stagger. Don't stagger because of your unbelief. But believe in Him to do what He had promised to do. Against hope, Abraham believed. Against reality, he believed. God performed exactly what he promised to do. And that's why today we call this man a man of faith. That's why today, no matter what part of the Bible we turn to, we see evidence of the results of that faith that he displayed. That's why today we have this opportunity to preach Christ and him crucified. Because one day, Abraham was fully persuaded. What can God do with your life today If it's said of you, you too are fully persuaded. Father, we pray that the potential that is before us right now would not be unfulfilled. We pray that I would give hope to the hurting. That I would give peace to the troubled. That I would give each and every one of us a faith that prevails. May we leave here today not just being fully persuaded in our heads, but fully persuaded in our hearts. And until that time when Thou dost see fit to shower upon us that blessing that Thou hast promised, help us to be a people who hope against hope every time. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. i close today by singing. I am trusting thee, Lord Jesus, trusting only thee. And if you're not remaining for the Lord's table, then feel free to leave after the first verse that we've sang together. And God bless you as you go.